Good morning. We are starting a new series this morning, um, and we're going through from now until the summer, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, and we're calling it The Dawn of a Kingdom. Nick was going to kick us off this morning with uh, an overview on the back end of the book of Judges, um, which leads on to the book of Samuel. Um, I'm going to give you some of that to give us a bit of context, but hopefully we'll hear that from Nick again at some point. Um, But for now, I'm going to read 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. I've been working on it. (laughs) He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And your translation may say, even though he loved her, because the Lord had closed her womb, he only gave her one portion. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and wouldn't eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why do you weep? And why don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice wasn't heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now this is in the Old Testament. That's in the the bit of the Bible that is before Jesus was around. And uh, this 1 Samuel, as I say, actually follows straight after the book of Judges. 
You may think I'm a bit mad because it actually comes right off the book of Ruth. Well, yes, it does. In our Bible, we've, uh, we, I didn't do it. I wasn't at the Council of Nicaea or anywhere else. But uh, the Bible has been put together slightly more chronologically um, after Jesus. But in the Jewish writings, judges would have come immediately before Samuel. And Ruth was another part of the Bible. So it's worth looking at what the end of Judges says. It finishes with this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And to prepare for this, I did a bit of reading over Judges. I thought, oh, you know, I know, I know the stories. I remember Gideon, all the stuff, you know. But I'll, I'll go and read it over again. And to say that everyone did what was right in his own eyes is a slight under, you know, understatement. Because, I mean, okay, one of my favorites. This is one of the good guys, okay? To fight the enemy... He gets a fox and another fox, ties them together by the tail, puts fire between them, and sends them off running through the enemy camp. And repeats this 149 times. 300 foxes tied by the tails, running through the enemy camp, setting fire to things. And this is one of the good guys. <laughs> to say that everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes, it doesn't quite cut the mustard. And then there's the guys that weren't quite so good. The idolatrous, adulterous, murderous, vile things that are happening all the way through Judges. And it says, had no king. And it makes you go, well, if they had a king, everything would have been sorted. But even that's kind of disingenuous. It's not quite true that they had a king. Again, preparing for this, I looked up the word king in a concordance, you know, trying to find out everywhere the coming king is mentioned before we get to this point. And there's, the word king is everywhere, everywhere in the Old Testament up to here. But it's always king of somewhere else. The king of Egypt, the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of Sion, wherever. It doesn't actually talk about the king of Israel. But in Numbers, God says, I will be their king. They will be my king kingdom. So I said, it's not that they didn't have a king. They just rejected the king they were given. But God, (laughs) God actually knew about this. He was prepared for this. In Deuteronomy 17, he tells us about the time of the judges. He says, I'll, you know, I'll give you judges that will make good decisions and they'll, they'll help you out. And then, then, there will come a time when you say to me, yeah, but we want a king, like all the other nations. He, he knows that they're going to reject his kingship. Later on in Deuteronomy, he says, this isn't going to be any good for you having a king. You're still going to be idolatrous. You're still going to be in a pickle. But in his great sovereign mercy, he says, you will come to me and you will say, We want a king like all the other nations. And I will say, okay, you can have that. But I get to pick. But I get to pick. Because actually, even through our rebellion, even through our rejection against God, he is working it all out to redeem it because through this king we get Jesus. Ultimately, and that's where we are now. That's where we are now. (laughs) In spite of us, or the Israelites coming before him, 
saying, we don't want you. He's like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> and I'm going to let you not have me for a bit, but I'm going to give you something better at the end out of it. Sovereign mercy. It's amazing. And that's where we find ourselves. We know there's a king coming. We know there's a king coming. And if you were in, uh, in Israel, or, you know, I don't know when, 3,000 years ago, and you were listening to this story, uh, and it probably would have been read to you because not so many people could read, and you, read, you heard Judges straight through to Samuel, you'd hear this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he wished. There was a certain man. Ooh, ooh, complex though this narrative is, I know what's going to happen. Israel has no king. There's a certain man. He's going to be the king. <laughs> I know what's coming. I've figured it out. I've seen the plot twist. Because you're excited, you're ready for it, you know there's a king coming. And do you know what I relate this to? This is probably a little base, but I think it's a little bit like the January transfer window. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, it's the, it's the one month in the football calendar where you're allowed to buy and sell uh, players from other, other clubs. I'm a Brighton and Hove Albion fan. We're doing quite well at the moment. We've doing, been doing well for a little while, but we've been shy at number 10, Yeah. We need someone who can play in the hole. We need someone who can give us the option to play 4-4-1-1, 4-2-3-1. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend lots of time talking about football. But, but the point is, January comes and the striker is coming. Oh, yes. And Twitter is full of rubbish. It's just every time it pops up. Uh, who have we been linked to? Frank Lampard, Robbie Keane, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Alan Judge. And do you know what happens? Every time I see one of these bogus rumors, I go straight to Wikipedia, look him up, check out his stats, see how many goals he scored, see how tall he is, how old he is, how young he is, you know, what teams he's played for. I get so excited and I, I visualize him in the team. We wouldn't have lost to Preston yesterday if, if you know, we, we had that number 10. And then ultimately, he doesn't sign for us. The manager says we weren't interested in him anyway. He signs for someone else, or he signs this contract with his existing club. And my response every time, that was rubbish anyway. <laughs> Didn't want him. And <laughs> we're going to see that a bit. <laughs> Just want to talk about Brighton. <laughs> we see that a bit in the first three verses of this, of this story. Because, yeah, there was a certain man, and we're given his stats, but also we've got Eli, Hophni, Phineas. These guys, there's a king coming, and it could be any number of these. And so we look up their stats. It's, oh, Elkanah, oh, yeah, he's, oh, Jeraham, so who's Zuf? He's a son of Zuf. Do you remember Zuf? Oh, he's brilliant. You couldn't wish for a better great great grandfather. He's, 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 he's Zufite. He's amazing. Yeah, he'd definitely fit in as king. Or, or Eli, we find out later in, in uh, chapter 4, I think, he's a, he's a judge of Israel. Who better to be king than one of the existing judges? Hophni, Phinehas, these guys are priests. They know God. Surely one of these is going to be the king. And you get really excited about it. And then all of a sudden, the action shifts. It's not about the kingship anymore. It suddenly becomes about a domestic situation. And it's a bit odd. It's like we've been watching this Shakespearean history 
and it transforms into an episode of EastEnders. <laughs> we still hear about these candidates for the king, but through the eyes of Hannah. And we find out that actually, oh, probably strike Elkanah off your Wikipedia list. Because his house isn't in order. It's in a bit of a mess, actually. The reason I point out the discrepancy about the, the translation earlier is, that, you know, whether it's that he's giving her extra and Penina's getting miffed, or whether it's that, no, I'm being litigious, you only get this much because the Lord has closed your womb. Whatever it is that he's done, it's not really helping his family dynamic. One wife is provoking the other. I imagine Hannah would have been provoked enough as it was just to see these children running around. Every day, sons and daughters of your husband's other wife when you have none. And then she provokes you. And then she irritates you. Elkanah's not doing a great job of being a father, a, a husband, let alone a king. Some of the translation, uh, some of the commentators say that because Hannah is listed first when he says he has two wives, it probably means she was the first married. Which probably means he married her, couldn't have children, did the honorable thing by not divorcing her, married again, and then had children. And if we needed another nail in the coffin of, of Elkanah's kingship, look at the way he talks to her. He says he loves her. He just doesn't know what to do with it. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why aren't you eating? Why are you sad? You've got me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to lay something out here. When my wife is upset, I have learned that a technically correct answer doesn't always bless her. <laughs> and he's technically correct here. I've got sympathy for him. Because husbands and wives, your primary relationship is each other. Children come secondary, sure. But when your wife's upset, don't say, why are you even upset? It doesn't make any sense. She is upset. That's what I've learned in four and a half years of marriage. She is upset. That's what matters. That's what matters. He should have wept with her. He should have sympathized with her. He should have gone to her and said, sweetheart, it's awful. I'm sorry. He should have prayed with her. And ultimately, it looks like it's affecting her relationship with God. When she prays later on, she uses language like affliction. She feels afflicted, like there's something wrong with her. She says, Lord, remember your servant and don't forget me. You can almost hear like Elkanah did afterwards. She feels rejected by Elkanah and by God. And she runs into another of the kingly candidates, Eli, who may be sure her husband's not done a great job 
He's a judge of Israel. He, he should be soberly deciding what the right thing to do in any given situation is. That's his job. He's a priest. He should be getting before God and advocating for her. And we strike him off our Wikipedia list too. Because he calls her a drunk. He calls her a drunk. He implies that she's worthless. Which can be translated, should be given up to death. He condemns her. He condemns her. But actually, do you know what? This is a woman who should be respected, praised, imitated. Because we will all face barren times in our lives, whether that's childlessness, whether it's emotional, physical abandonment, like Hannah's received here, maybe when you have children and you feel on your own, you feel rejected, you feel left behind. Maybe my heart goes out to these bereaved families we've heard about this morning. You go, why has God left us? It's really interesting to note that Hannah uses Lord or Lord of hosts, which is how we transliterate Yahweh, Jehovah, God's name. When Eli talks about uh, God later, he calls him God of Israel, like he's this distant thing to be studied. He doesn't have a personal relationship. It's like if, if you call me Rick rather than man, he, you call me Rick, you know me, don't you? You've met me. <laughs> she knows God. She knows him. And yet, she's not afraid to lay it all out there. God, I feel afflicted. I feel like there's something wrong with me. I feel like I've been cursed. I feel like uh, I've been forgotten. I've been left behind. I've been rejected. Elkanah doesn't care. You don't care. Even Eli, we find out, doesn't care. Why don't you care, God? She puts it all out there. She lays it down. And... Don't be afraid to go to God like this. If you, you know God, if you know God, and if you don't, I'd love to introduce you to him. If you know God, you can speak like this to him. You're not going to scare him. You're not going to put him off. You're not going to knock him off his stride. Oh, I didn't know you were upset. He knows everything. <laughs> And she knows Yahweh, and we know Jesus, and we know the Holy Spirit. We have a better, more personal relationship. And what happens is we don't have a priest there like Eli, who actually ultimately says, go in peace. But we have a high priest with us who is advocating for us before the Father, who is always praying for us. We have a judge with us in Jesus who always does what is right. And we have a bridegroom to come who is so much better than Elkanah ever was as a husband, who listens to us, 
who cares for us, who prays for us, prays with us. We have Jesus. And what's important here, he says, <laughs> Eli even cops out a little bit there, go in peace. All right, good, a nice priestly blessing. And he doesn't even say, oh, you'll get what you want. It's kind of, and the God of Israel grants your petition that you've made him. Well, I hope it works out for you. I hope you get it. I don't really know God, so I don't know what's, what he's up to. And yet, she finds peace. Your servant find favor in your eyes. She could be speaking to Eli or God at this point because she's addressed herself as your servant to both of them. But I think her behavior afterwards, she ate. She was no longer sad. She had found a contentment and a peace. And that's available to us now. You go to Jesus, you pour out your heart. He will say, go in peace. Because contentment and peace and faith, it doesn't come from getting what we want, particularly. She makes this vow about this son. It's a little bit of an empty vow, because if he was a Levite, he probably would have to be given to the temple anyway. But maybe that it's something about the, you know, not shaving his head or something like that. But actually, it's just knowing that God's with her. Whatever happens that brings her peace, she goes and eats. That's not quite the end of the story. Because Samuel chapter 1, verses 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I have two views of God, both that he is sovereign, but one that knows that he is a good father. Which of you... If your son asked for a fish, would give him a scorpion. If he asked for bread, would give him a rock. Well, no one, and you're awful. But he's so much better, and he will give you good gifts. Yeah, I see that. I get that. She pours out her heart. She asks for a son. And I also see the God who is sovereign, who raises up and puts down kings, who uses... Gentile kings, who we see Cyrus, you know, who actually works out God's will, even though he doesn't realize it. And that brings me comfort when I think about Syria. And also when I think about Britain and the social change and the family decline that we see in our country going on. And I don't have any power to stop it or do anything about it, but I know God's in control, okay? But I see these two gods as separate a lot of the time. But they are one. They are one. Because through Hannah's pain, through her 
learned dedication to God, Israel is changed. We see the name Samuel. Maybe we should get our you know, Wikipedia stats page out again. Oh, he's just a baby. We don't know anything about him yet. He could be anyone. I'll tell you this. He's, he's going to play a big role. He's going to play a big role in the coming king. And it's cold comfort, I know, to say, oh, you know, you're having a hard time. Rejoice in your sufferings. You know, you're going to get better character. It's true. It's good. I can't do it. <laughs> Rejoice in my sufferings. Is, I haven't made it yet. God's going to make you more like him. And he's also going to benefit the whole world by it. Britain is better off because you're here. If you dedicate yourself to God, if you submit to his will, Nottingham is better off because you are here. Chris, do you want to come? But that's the big picture. That's the big picture. That's a hope. That's a great, that's great news. But actually, all you can do, all you can do when you've encountered difficult times is come before God, pour out your heart, let him have it, and he will come and say, go in peace. Amen.